Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to another edition of The Three Technique, the college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'm Trey Reeves. I'm joined by Mr. Garrett Turney over there on the other side of the Metroplex. Garrett, spring break is coming to a close for uh, most of the country. I know some of uh, some of the country is getting started with that here in a couple weeks, but for our portion of the country, spring break's coming to a close. We're shifting the calendar. Hopefully the weather's going to start warming up a little bit here soon. And spring football is going to start picking up in full earnest. That's going to be our main topic of discussion today. Mainly an article written by our friend Mitch, who could not join us on the podcast, but we get to talk about his written work uh, without him. Get uh, You already got his opinion if you read the article, but we're going to talk about it, uh, kind of give our opinion. But Garrett, this time of year, man, it only means a couple things. We're traveling different places you and I had quite an experience traveling this week. We found out <laughs> we, did. Uh, we spent some time in a lovely college town, uh, San Marcos, Texas, and we found out that we are not college kids anymore. We found out that we cannot uh, hang with the college town environment. We actually cut out a little bit early because we started feeling a little sick. So um, quite an experience, a fun one nonetheless, but how For are you sure. feeling being back home and uh, just kind of getting the rest of the break to yourself? It has been great to be back home. I got to say, you know, we, we say that we're not college kids anymore. This would have knocked us on our tails back in college anyway. We, we, <laughs> we had the perfect storm of just weirdness. I don't know if you can tell Trey's a little bit sick still, a little bit of the, the lingering symptoms. And I was getting over, if anyone knows me, they know that I'm good for about one just miserable sunburn a year. And I was getting over that as well. So yeah, just a, an interesting time. Um, interesting time down there in San Marcos, home of Texas State, of course. And, you know, great, great time down there. Nothing disparaging to say about the city itself, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, we're going to have to take a do a do a rain check on that vacation. We're going to have to try this again at a future date. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see when we can get that one back in and get that one made up. Yeah. San Marcos, man, as a city, if you've never been to San Marcos, Texas, I know it's probably because Texas state isn't a big well-known school outside of the state of Texas. And it's not a sports powerhouse in anything maybe could be one day. I think they're moving in the sure right direction be, yeah. with their football program, but they definitely don't make those. San Marcos doesn't make those top college town lists. And that's a crying shame because if you've never been there, it's a beautiful city. It's in the hill country. There's a river literally running right through the city, right through the campus. Yeah. That you can just jump in and swim whenever you want. It's beautiful and nice town square, nice nightlife. Can't say enough good things about San Marcos. Wish we could have spent our full allotted time there. <laughs> right, right. We had other plans come up. So, Garrett, the other thing about March is, of course, March Madness. I know my bracket's already busted, but speaking of in that theme and just speaking of that trip to a college town, thought it'd be fun for a little quick question, a little off topic question. What would be if you were making a March Madness style 
college town bracket, who are your top four? Who are your number one seeds in that bracket? Well, I got to say, so if you're looking at just the college town, the quality of what it means to be in a college town, right? Um, you're not looking for cities. So we, you know, I think when we made our, our couple here, we did not include, you know, places like Austin or Nashville that typically make these lists. Those are oh, yeah. college towns. Those are not cities. college towns. Those are cities of millions of people. That is not a college town. If you include right. that on your list, check your criteria because <laughs> something is messed up. You're not doing it right. It, it has to be primarily a college town, right? And so out if of the college primarily didn't college exist, town, the town would not be there. That is a college right. town. Or it's just one of those little podunk places, the gas station that you pass through on your way to a to a real place. Um, so uh, my my number one overall seed would probably end up being Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Now okay. I've got feelings about the LSU Tigers. Um, there's there's a lot of you know positives and negatives to be said about our friends down on the Bayou, but Baton Rouge is a lovely place to be. Um, you, you can go down the wrong street and, and end up in an interesting neighborhood for sure. Um, but man, I mean, the food is, I think, second to none. I love their campus too. Like gorgeous architecture. Really cool when you get down there on that campus for LSU. Uh, my second number one seed would be Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're going to stay in the SEC West. I love Fayetteville. It's gorgeous there. I mean, the hills and everything. I mean, and especially in the fall as the leaves start to turn and, and, and you get just that gorgeous foliage coming in it Fayetteville is awesome. Some good spots to eat there too, as well. Um, my third selection here would be Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. Um, once again, just an, an awesome place to be, you know, with the, with the mountains and everything else. And, you know, I, I think, you know, as I've, you know, encountered more students, and they talk about where they're going to go to college. I hear a lot of people just mention Boulder because like, oh, I just go skiing all the time. And, you know, that prospect's kind of cool to us here in Texas where, you know, everything's flat. And, you know, we got like one mountain to speak of in the whole state. Um, and then um, my my last number one seed would go to Ann Arbor, Michigan. I've been able to pass through there a time or two. Um, really, really cool spot, very underrated football stadium, which I think kind of makes the college town as well as you got to have that big football stadium that you can see from a few miles out. And, you know, if you get the right angle, you can see it and you can't necessarily see the big house from the street very much. It's a little unassuming, but you walk up to the gates, you realize it's dug into the ground and it's really, really cool to kind of look down into the bowl and realize like, oh, this thing is massive. It's a little unassuming, but very cool. Trey, what would your top four college towns be man i can't argue with any of those four i think those are great picks i i went a slightly different direction uh oxford mississippi i think is my mm -hmm. total number one just that is a quintessential college town to me there's great nightlife it's tiny i think there's like fourteen thousand people that live there not counting the students and then the population right. of course like quadruples on game day in the fall, right? Um, be that football, <laughs> be that baseball. Just Ole Miss is an awesome campus to be on. It's beautiful. Um, lots of just old trees and great places to tailgate, obviously. Uh, Oxford, I've never had a bad time in Oxford. Um, Athens, Georgia, kind of the same way. Just mm -hmm. beautiful town, really pretty old Southern town that uh, just kind of checks a lot of boxes for me. Um, Madison, Wisconsin. I, I've personally never been. But I feel like it always makes the top of those lists. Everything I've read about, everything I've heard talked about, Madison just seems, you know, great. I think the people of Wisconsin, every person I met from Wisconsin is awesome. So why would I not love, you know, their best college town? And a little bit off the beaten path, at least for people in our neck of the woods, Eugene, Oregon. 
if you if you never been through Eugene, it is beautiful. Oregon as a whole state is just gorgeous, and the people of Eugene know how to have a good time too. So, uh, just a beautiful college and a beautiful setting, and yeah, just great people up there as well. You know, I, I haven't had the chance to go through Eugene. I haven't been. I've been to like Seattle and Washington, but I haven't been able to get into Oregon as much. I'm I'm gonna push a little bit on Madison. <laughs> the The city itself is lovely. Like the the people are nice, very kind. But Madison, if I've got one complaint with you, you got to get your speed limits up, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I I I spent a crazy morning trying to change. And this is a whole other story for another podcast. But I was trying to figure some stuff out, help out a bride with her wedding, right? Make sure that she got all the not things. Not your own answered. bride, but not my bride, bride, to be clear. Yeah. Not my bride. No, my my bride's friend. Um, she was getting married that day. And I had to kind of run around town and grab a bunch of stuff and getting stuck. You know, you get like stuck between cars and everything else, going 25 miles an hour with everyone acting like they had nowhere to be on that day. It, it was a little bit bizarre. I think especially coming from the South where we think like oh, 85 is a suggestion. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I I was very upset with the uh, with some of the drivers in Madison, Wisconsin. Maybe it's just because I'm a crazy guy from the south. But get your speed limits up, Madison. Let's drive a little faster. I don't think they're in a hurry up there. They're not. I think maybe it's the cold weather. They just the cheese curds. They're just right. not not moving in now, a hurry. I did drive past their stadium. Great stadium. There's like yeah. a little narrow point where it goes like up next to the stadium. Then there's like a real narrow point on the other side where it, like you kind of sit in the shadow of the stadium. Very cool stadium. Really cool experience there. It looks really tall when you're next to it. And so, yeah, it was very cool stadium. 10 out of 10 on the stadium. Just wish I could have driven past it a little bit faster. <laughs> <laughs> Camp Randall's 100% on my bucket list. I hope I get to go up oh, there yeah. and experience the slow drivers firsthand because it means I'm going <laughs> to a game probably. But right, Garrett, aside from the March Madness, aside from our brackets being busted, trips to college mm-hmm. towns, all those are great, but we're going to dive in now to uh, just some quick news updates. If you've been following along on the podcast, you know what we're probably about to cover. It's the Pac-12 media drama, right? We gotta, we gotta get our weekly update, our weekly days of our Pac-12 lives. And the update this week was actually pretty fascinating because uh, Stuart Mandel actually sat down with Arizona president Robert C. Robbins. And that's significant for a couple reasons. Number one, if you've been following this story, Arizona is one of the schools that's been rumored to be possibly leaving the Pac-12, either to the Big Ten or Big 12 or some other conference. And one of those four corner schools that definitely has open options that definitely at least has been rumored to be exploring those open options. And in this interview is actually fascinating because a couple things really stood out to me. Number one, Dr. Roberts said, or Robbins, excuse me, said that he expects that the PAC 12 media deal will number one, be coming any week now. And number two, he thinks it will be better than the Big 12. So very strong words for someone who, you know, has been rumored to maybe be looking at the Big 12. They definitely got into that in that interview. You can read the whole thing. Um, It's a Stuart Mandel article on The Athletic. But just a really interesting insider view to this whole situation. Because, again, he's one of those four corner schools presidents. That's very big deal. And, you know, they kind of got into a lot of different uh, different aspects of this view. He's talking about, you know, Mandel asked him, hey, what do you think about the outside view that the Pac-12 is on the brink of collapse? And he just straight up says, I think that's being blown out of proportion and that's a story being fed from the Big 12. 
So a lot of behind the scenes going on here, a lot of very interesting, dramatic uh, effects, I guess, of lots of people going behind the scenes, lots of people, I think, hoping that the Pac-12 media rights deal is coming soon. But Garrett, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, thoughts on the comments from the Arizona president. See, this doesn't strike me as confidence. This strikes me a little bit more as insecurity. And maybe it's just because I've been watching a little bit of that like trashy reality TV recently. But <laughs> when those relationships are working, and they never do, but when relationships are actually working between people, you don't feel like you have to go and talk about how great it is all the time. This kind of feels like one of those where he's like, no, 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 it's great. It's amazing. It's going to be even better than the Big 12. Like, you guys are talking about a partial deal with Ion and we're going to act like now all of a sudden like someone's coming, like Fox is coming around the corner to really buy for this. Look, we could be totally wrong. We've been following this saga. And I got to tell you what, this has been one of my favorite offseason stories in a long time is the Pac-12 meteorites saga. Um, I mean, there's a reason if you if you're looking at this on YouTube and you go to our videos, scroll down, you're going to see a lot of the Pac-12 logo in our thumbnails. It's, that We've been talking about it a lot. It, I, I just don't know where they think that they're going with this. I don't know where they think that they can go with this based on how the talks have stalled. Maybe they think that now that, you know, SMU San Diego State are, you know, sort of solidify it as, as options there, that maybe they can keep branching out and, and leverage some things. Great. Cool. Good for you. Again, I kind of doubt it. We're not rooting for a Pac-12 collapse, but this conference has been struggling. There's been a lot of options thrown out to find a way to to get an amicable solution for the conference, and I just don't know that there's one that's coming right now. And so, you know, the Arizona president, he comes out, he talks about how great this deal is going to be. It's a little insecure to me, um, but but benefit of the doubt, maybe he's right. Maybe there's a good deal coming for the for the Pac-12. And I personally hope that we can get a good deal for the Pac-12 because I think that would be better for college football overall. We're big fans of Pac-12 after dark. We're big fans of watching, you know, football out on the West Coast. And some of those matchups in those college towns, we you know, we talk about great college towns. You mentioned Eugene. There's several Oregon State, Washington State. Yep. You know, there's a couple really good college towns. Uh, over on that side of the country, I, I think that there's some really cool football out there to be played. And, and I'm hoping that there's some way that we can get a good deal together, whether it's, you know, are, are we going to send better than ESPNs, like, you know, crappy cameras that, you know, get 360 or something like that. Like, you know, I, I, I'm hoping that we can do a little bit better than that. You know, hopefully we can get a good deal together. I'm just still a little bit skeptical, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit biased by the coverage we've had so far. But um, you know, I'm 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 a little a uh, little skeptical that good days are ahead for the Pac-12 media deal. Yeah, and on the expansion front, even you know, Robbins was very open in this interview about saying that we're not even having those conversations as a conference yet. We're trying to get this media rights deal done. And then we'll talk about expansion. So who knows? It was fascinating to get this perspective from someone that's actually in the room where it's happening, where these decisions are being made. But yeah, I mean, I think more questions were left open than were answered from this interview, if you're asking me. Well, and it feels like something you have to say. You know, it kind of feels like, okay, you're the president at one of the schools in the Pac-12, currently in the Pac-12, and, and you're being courted maybe by the Big 12, and you're probably getting a lot of pressure from the, the Pac-12 commissioner to, to stand by them and let's all stay strong together. And, and as long as you're here and you don't have to worry about buyouts, you don't have to worry about all the money that goes into switching conferences and getting your grant of rights back and everything else, you know, the, 
there's probably some degree where this makes sense financially for Arizona to try to stay in the Pac-12 as long as they can get a good deal, right? I think there's probably some part of them that are saying, if we can get a good deal, great, let's roll with it. I, I do think that the tone may change quickly after whatever that deal is announced. Also, the whole it's coming any week now, that doesn't sound super confident either. Your any- check is in the mail. <laughs> right. It, it's almost like, yeah, it's coming any week now. Uh, maybe that's what I've been told. That They said yeah. that it's coming any week now. It, that, that feels like the kind of thing that could drag out a little bit farther. And, you know, I think as this drags out, it's just worse for the Pac-12. They need to get something solidified and get something to pitch to some of these schools as the landscape is changing so that they can keep people in the boat and happy uh, in their current situation. Yeah, and as we've said all along, it's not a good look. It's definitely going to be painful, however this works out for the Pac-12, because I think there's going to be a reality check at the very least. Maybe for not. Sure. I mean, may, I mean, apparently it's going to be better than the Big 12s, so <laughs> we'll see. But uh, stay tuned. Next week we'll bring you another edition of Days of Our Pac-12 Media Lives, and <laughs> I will have another huge update, I'm sure. Elsewhere in the conference that poached the Pac-12 this summer, uh, the Big Ten is down to three future scheduling formulas uh, or options for their future scheduling formats per Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic. Uh, the options are three permanents with six rotating, similar to what we've seen in the SEC, two permanents with two semi-permanents where you play three times in four years instead of two, and uh, the rest being uh, every two years. And then the third option, which sounds like a nightmare to every clerical person in the Pac-12 football or sorry, Big Ten football office, the flex pro, uh, flex protection, where every single school will have a different number of protected games, uh, either one, two, or three permanent opponents. Garrett, um, I think we're probably going to see option number one, similar to the SEC, where there's three permanent, six rotating. I know they want to balance out the travel to the West Coast, but at the end of the day, that's just the easiest, and I think that'll probably win out. And the big thing, too, is the 3-6 makes the most sense. And I think the thing that you have to look out for is confusing fans, confusing fan bases, confusing schools and athletic departments. This flex option where you could do like one, two or three permanent at the very least, the way that has to work out, I think if I'm doing the math right, is you'd have to have an even number of one, two and three. So yep. that they like even each other out. Then there's flexes. But then like if you're a three, you don't ever see the ones because those guys are always circling on other people. And then the one, like, how do you fill up a schedule with that? I just don't, I don't understand any of that. That doesn't make sense to me. If I really thought about it, I could, but I got better things to think about than <laughs> a flex schedule like that. Three, six makes the most sense to me. We've talked about it with the SEC so many times. Having three permanent opponents that you can say, these are the three that are important to us. Uh, we've even seen it. A lot of schools have one or two. So picking three, you just kind of pick a third team that you're going to see more frequently. The the two and two, the like the two semi-permanents, I mean, three out of four, but then you're talking about who gets the home field more frequently, and then does does it go like in a four-year cycle where like you get home away home, and then the next time you do away home away. And so if you're a student at one of these schools, you might see this team one time. Right. Or you'll see them three times if you're in the other side. So it just kind of confuses me as to how all of that would end up working. Um, I think three and six keeps it simple. It keeps it repetitive. It, it, it better measures the teams, I think, as you're trying to grow year after year um, and, and grow your program. And, and I think it'd just be better overall for fans, for teams, for the players and for everyone involved. 
Well, let's take a break real quick before we get into our discussion, and we're going to hear from our new sponsor. University Traditions knows that most sports fans are looking for clothing that you can wear everywhere, but also gives a nod to your favorite team and homegrown roots. That passion and inspiration led them to create some of the best-looking hats that we at the 3Tech Pod have ever had the pleasure to wear. So we teamed up. Guys, I'm telling you, these hats are incredible. And, you know, we all here at the 3Tech, we are all fans of that school down in College Station. I have to say, the College Station collection, it looks fantastic. But even those other schools that they have, the Auburn collection, the Knoxville collection, Fayetteville, Nashville, you name it, their hats look fantastic. So whatever team you are looking to represent, they've got a hat for you. Listeners of this podcast can get a 15% discount off their entire order by using code 3TECH15 at checkout. That's T-H-R-E-E-T-E-C-H-1-5 at checkout 3TECH15. Head on over to University Traditions website or search for them on social media. Tell them that the 3TECH pod sent you and grab yourself some of the best looking hats on the market. You'll love their styles and feel the tradition with each new hat you own. All right, well, we are back and we are going to uh, talk about a very interesting article that Mitch put together. And I know he's not here to talk about it. Like I said, you can read his thoughts. We're going to share our thoughts on his thoughts and have kind of a, a more layered discussion here. But Mitch wrote an awesome article for our partners over at the Transfer Portal. Uh, please follow them if you haven't already. Um, make sure that you are reaching out to them at Transfer uh, Transfer Portal CFB on Twitter. Um, but he wrote an article talking about as we get into spring football, what is one question that each SEC team must answer uh, or wants to have answered coming out of spring ball? So, Garrett, I think we're going to take at least starting wise. We'll see how much time we have, but. We're going to start with at least three teams from the East and the West. And if you guys, if we don't talk about the team that you're interested in, please go out and read that article. It'll be linked in the podcast description. But we're going to start with the SEC East, and we're going to start with the top dogs, Georgia. And I think the question that Mitch had for them was a very interesting one because it's very easy to say, you know, Georgia has all the questions answered already, right? But they will be going through a lot of changes this year. They're losing talent. They're going to turn over talent every single year as they graduate a ton of people to the NFL draft. But Mitch's question for Georgia is what defines the Bulldogs offense this year? They don't have a lot of question marks heading into 2023 because they've won back-to-back titles. Uh, But there's a huge quarterback battle that's going to happen and they're losing a lot on the offensive line. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who steps up, who replaces this uh all this talent that's leaving that's won so many games in Athens that's going to start with the quarterback battle between Carson Beck Brock Brock Vandergriff excuse me easy for me to say and Gunner Stock yeah no I think the the big question we have is again looking at the quarterback spot anytime you bring in a new quarterback no matter what type of program you are you're going to have some issues to get started right it's very rare that a young quarterback as a freshman comes in and just keeps things at the same level and remember before Stetson Bennett we didn't see any real national success out of Georgia they're always competitive they make the playoff a few times but Stetson Bennett has won two championships with the Bulldogs and that that's that shouldn't be understated this was a 40-year drought that he broke and I think that that's something to to credit him for 
and credit his abilities for. And that's massive shoes to step into if you're any of these guys, right? I think Carson Beck's probably the guy that you're looking to first. Um, but, I mean, even look at teams like Clemson, right? Clemson replacing some of that high-level stuff with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, DJU clearly hasn't been the guy, no matter how highly touted he was. You know, there are some issues, um, you know, with him, and obviously he's moved on. And now they're looking at another guy who played a few games as a freshman, and, you know, he's going to be trying to take over for the Clemson Tigers this next year and, and up his game. He didn't look too good against Tennessee. He, he was running around for his life in that game as well. Um, and, and so I think you have to just ask yourself as a Georgia Bulldog fan, can we three-peat, right? Is that, an, is that on the table with a freshman quarterback? That's where it has to start. You've still got talent. You're, you're still recruiting well. But to see so much of this talent and production walk straight out the door, uh, I, I'm curious to see what they can do starting at the quarterback spot. And then especially with some of the some of the stuff on the offensive line, some of the stuff at the skill positions, right, seeing what they can replace there. It, there's a lot of question marks about the Georgia Bulldogs here. And it, obviously it all starts at the quarterback position, most important position in sports. Yeah. And like I mentioned off the top, the offensive line is going to be really interesting too. As Mitch laid out, they lose both starting tackles, Broderick Jones and Warren McClendon. Those two combined to give up a whopping zero sacks last year. So Stetson Bennett had all the time in the world to throw. He's obviously pretty good. protected. And they're bringing in talent, right? It's not like Georgia's going to have a dearth of talent. They are going to be one of the most talented, if not the most talented team in college football from a recruiting ranking standpoint. But sometimes those transitions don't go as smoothly as you hope. They do have a very easy schedule this year. They have, you know, the jokes are riding themselves about the Bulldogs' 2023 schedule. I think their toughest game will probably come in the SEC championship um, in December. But right. It's way too early to just say that they're going to cakewalk into that. They do have a lot of holes to fill, so that's why you have spring ball, to find those positions and uh, find who can fill those gaps. Elsewhere in the division, we go to the Tennessee uh, Volunteers, and obviously they spring onto the scene last year. They have their big breakthrough campaign, and Mitch's question for Tennessee was, will the defense prove doubters wrong again in 2023 and i'm going to read his uh first little paragraph here from his section on the volunteers they finished 91st in the country in total defense and still outperformed expectations heading into the season if you remember back to our preview shows last summer that's why i was down on tennessee i thought they were going to score a million points i knew hinden hooker and that receiving core were going to be electric but I thought they were going to give up just as many points as they scored. And some of those games, they sure did. You go watch that South Carolina tape. Mm-hmm. That's exhibit A of what I was worried about going into the season. But they, d- they did have a decent pass rush. And that's what really made them click. And that's what made them dangerous on the defensive side of the ball. They couldn't cover very well. And they really struggled to stop the run at times. But they had a good pass rush. And they could get you into those third and long situations and make you pay. So... How are they going to move forward without a guy like Byron Young? Because Byron Young was kind of who made that happen this past year. So lots of question marks still. They answered those last year. Do you think they can do it again? That's really the question, right? You mentioned the South Carolina game. I think most of us thought the South Carolina game was going to be what Tennessee's whole season looked like, right? Where who knows if you're going to score 40 or 60 in that game and and who knows what the other side's going to do, right? Um, obviously Josh Heupel has things rolling on the offensive side of the ball, which is kind of nice because you don't have to worry about that side of the ball going into the spring. You know what you're getting on offense. And so you can, I think, better indicate 
where your defense is in spring ball and especially in the spring game once you get into live reps I think you're going to be able to tell where you are better because you know that the offense works you know that the offense is good you don't have any questions there the big thing here is obviously Georgia's turning over some talent we talked about that just a second ago but if you look around the division there's probably going to be uh, uh, some tough games, and I'm looking specifically at Kentucky. I think they're getting a definite upgrade at quarterback with Devin Leary. Um, I, we've talked about that several times. Will Levis, we're not fans on this podcast. Uh, we're oh, we're I was, Man, I wanted that to work so you bad sure last year. Were. Kentucky well, and Devin Leary, that is just a combo sandwich of disappointment for me in 2022. I wanted both of those entities to be so good last year for sure it it, and it just didn't work out on this pod we've talked about it several times we don't think that will levis ended up being all that good we thought maybe he would have been going into the season uh definitely wrong but but look Devin leary he's a solid quarterback really good i was honestly surprised to see him transfer uh and to go to kentucky i think he gives them an immediate shot in the arm look missouri has a bunch of talent they were sneaky a couple times almost jumped up a bit georgia last year um and and, you know even looking at you know south carolina they're bringing back a bunch again they're going to be you know, pretty competitive. They put up a bunch of points on them last year. You could even look at Florida with Graham Mertz coming in and and maybe there's a little bit something there. I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of opportunities I think for them to mess up and and to regress if they can't figure it out on the defensive side, right? There's enough going on in the sec East that if they don't get this right, that's not even to mention games against Alabama um, and and anything else they have going on in the out of conference. I, I'm nervous about their defense. That's what I will say. The defense has to be able to find a way to more consistently get pass rush and then more consistently just keep people from picking up yards and yards and yards. You got to find a way to get off the field. I don't know if it's being aggressive and getting turnovers. I don't know. I don't know what the recipe for success is. But they got plenty of time to work on it in Knoxville. Yeah. And as Mitch points out in his article, The problem was the big play because they ranked 129th in plays of 10 plus yards, 112th in plays of 20 plus yards and 100th in plays of 30 plus yards. So it was not a situation where, you know, people were dinking and dunking down the field on Tennessee. They were getting big chunk plays. They were scoring, you know, quick drives, quick strike offenses were having a field day with Tennessee because of that secondary. So they brought in some talent. They have some guys to kind of replace that production at pass rush, but I think that's going to be the key. Their success on defense, I think, again, is going to boil down to if they can get to the passer or get rush the passer at the same rate they did last year because that's sure. that was the straw that stirred the drink. That's what kept it from really imploding on itself last year, and I think it's going to be the same this year. Uh, Garrett, our last one in the East that we've talked about a lot this offseason for various reasons, but we're going to go down to Gainesville. And talk about Billy Napier's Florida Gators because, you know, I know you guys, when we talked about this last time, you guys were, you know, talking me off the ledge on Billy Napier. But I'm going to double down here a little bit. I think the Gator faithful really don't like the insults that they're getting about Billy Napier. I think that their little feelings are getting hurt and they don't like (laughs) their head coach being called Sunbelt Billy by their rival fan bases. And if Sunbelt Billy, can't win, you know, eight plus games with this schedule this year. I think he's going to be feeling some serious heat. And Mitch's question for them is, can they win in the trenches? And good Lord, if that's your question, heading into an SEC season, 
God help you. Because oh, yeah. we've seen it <laughs> time and time again. If you are not confident in the trenches, but on both sides of the ball, you could be in for a really long year, regardless of how talented you are You know, around that. Throw in the fact that they're going to be replacing a guy that's going to go top 10 in the draft at quarterback. I know his stats weren't perfect in college, but replacing that kind of athlete that made your offense go, not going to be an easy task. So, like I said, the question is, can they win in the trenches? Didn't really go according to plan, as Mitch says, outside of the season opening win over Utah. But his focus on uh, Napier's focus on the offensive line uh, has paid dividends for the Gators so far. But they are losing Osiris Torrance. They are uh, losing a couple other key contributors. So I don't know, man. Like, at least on the offensive side of the ball, somebody's going to need to step up. Oh, for sure. And to, to talk about the quarterback spot for a second. You know, Graham Mertz is the guy coming in from Wisconsin, and a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, what's going to be going on in Florida? He's going to get some better help. The the offensive line situation at Wisconsin wasn't fantastic last year, and I think a lot of people, that was kind of what they looked at for some of the struggles in Madison was the offensive line wasn't as productive as it had been in previous years, right? Not a poor effort, but definitely not where they're used to having it as batters fans. And if you're struggling with that, he's not the same athlete as Anthony Richardson, right? He, he's just not. Um, he's he certainly got all the tools to be a very good college quarterback, um, but he, he's not going to be breaking a vertical jump record at the combine in a couple of years. That's, that's not in Grammar's tool bag, prob- probably. I don't know. Maybe we'll see what he does in the offseason. But um, it, I'd, be, I'd be shocked. So you're going to have to protect him. You're going to have to give him time. And I think that, you know, obviously you said what they're losing. Osiris Torrance is not going to be easy to replace. They've got guys like Keontae Goodwin and Damian George coming in uh, from the transfer portal who certainly looked like they had it going coming out of high school. Maybe haven't shown as much in their college careers yet, but definitely have the potential. The, The big issue, obviously, with an offensive line, it's never the parts. It's the sum of the parts, right? We've both seen less talented offensive lines that have spent lots of time together perform really well versus lots of star athletes all playing their first game together, struggling badly, right? If that's the situation that Florida finds himself in, it's going to be another long season. And when you look across at what's happening with the, with the Florida state Seminoles and you look down the road at UCF joining the big 12 and maybe Miami has a little bit better year. It could be really rough to be at the bottom of the state of Florida for the Florida Gators. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. And you know, they, they put it to their credit. They put in a lot of work in the transfer portal to try to fix this O-line situation. Like you mentioned, that is not easy to do. That is very like O-line is the hardest position to recruit out of the portal year in and year out. And so hopefully this works for them this year. Like they're hoping that that patchwork can work. Like you said, it's your guys that have never played together before. They've never taken practice reps together before. So spring practice is going to be crucial for them to find an ability to gel. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, let's move over to the SEC West and we'll start with the defending champions. Still weird for me to say that. 
um, based on where we thought LSU might be after week one last year. But the LSU Tigers, Mitch's question I think is a great one because it's so easy to point to different areas of the field for LSU. But his question is, do they have a receiving core to defend the SEC West crown? And I think the autopilot brain, at least on you know post-2010 LSU, is of course they're going to have receivers. Of course they're going to, you know, have somebody that can step up and, you know, be a dominant receiver. You think of all the great ones that have come through there, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Jamar Chase, uh, Jordan Je- or Justin Jefferson, Justin, excuse yeah. me. Like so many, the list just keeps on going of how many have come through that program. But Malik Neighbors recently got arrested. Alabama transfer, Aaron Anderson had knee surgery. Um, it's really, really a big question mark going into spring ball because, you know, those two are really, I know Anderson's not playing the spring neighbors has definitely been a distraction to say the least, um, as Mitch puts it in his article. So behind them losing, uh, Kishan Boutte and, you know, the other talent that they did behind them, there's a lot of question marks on this receiver depth chart. Right. And, and they're going to need to stay explosive because, you know, like we said, it's not like things in the SEC are getting any easier, right? There's certainly some teams that I think are taking a little bit of a step back or might just be treading water, but there's going to be a lot of teams coming for that. We know the SEC West is competitive, and if they're not able to keep up with the receivers, there's going to be some issues for them. Look, Jaden Daniels, fantastic quarterback, great athlete, strong arm. I, I think he performed extremely well uh, based on what we were expecting him to do going into the season. I think he's primed to have an even better year this year. But you're absolutely right. And, and the the receiver question is a fairly big one. It's been an autopilot thing for a while. But I think at a certain point, you can become a little bit spoiled with that. Not saying that LSU fans are spoiled with this, but at, at a certain point, you just kind of expect it to be at a certain level. And it it has to come down at some point, right? I think this is what we're kind of seeing with Alabama, who we'll talk about in a second, in the quarterback position. At some point, you can't keep relying on elite athletes at the wide receiver position to bail out, you know, bad performance days by a quarterback, right? If a quarterback has a rough day, take, you know, again, Jaden Daniels with the, at the end of the season against Texas A&M, didn't have his best performance, right? You, you can't expect wide receivers to bail you out when you're not having your best performance. Um, and, and I think the receivers kept them sort of in it for most of the game. I know the Aggies controlled the game, I think, but LSU never really got blown out. They didn't quite go away. And then, you know, I think obviously that kind of carried into the SEC championship game where they ran into an absolute buzzsaw in the Georgia Bulldogs. But that could have been a playoff berth for them if they, you know, went out and, and beat A&M and, and maybe even beat Georgia, get to, you know, the, the SEC championship and, and actually pull off the top. That could have been a playoff berth for them. And we might've been talking about this season as something a lot more magical than what it was. And, and so, you know, who is the right combination? They've got the studs. Look, the, the Louisiana trope is definitely true. There's some absolute dogs down there in Louisiana. They, they can play. Um, what are we going to get out of them in year one for several of them or for, you know, for a few of them that haven't really gotten a lot of game reps, what are we going to get out of them? I don't know. And so does Jaden Daniels have to be the guy We'll see. I, I think it's a big question mark as far as what what are they getting out of the receiver core? Because that defense was solid last year. They just got to make sure things can get back to humming on offense like it was in 2019. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's always a question of like, you got young guys, you got young experienced guys. When they get hit for the first time, when they go up against a press coverage against a guy that's going to be a first round NFL draft pick yep. in a few months, how do they respond? And can they bounce back from that? Like, it's, it's always an interesting thing to watch develop. Wide receiver is such a fascinating position because, oh, yeah. These guys have gotten by on raw athleticism and speed for so long. And now they have to learn how to be actual wide receivers. How do you run a route? How do you, you know, read a defense? How do you get open for, uh, in a zone coverage, you know, so many different things that they have to think about for the first time, a lot of them. And it's going to be fascinating to see what those guys do in the LSU uniform over on uh, the other side of the division at Alabama. This is a huge question for me. And I think Mitch is wise to ask this one for the crimson side is Jalen Milrow ready to chase a championship? And I'll go ahead and answer this question. The answer is no, in my opinion. Yep. Jalen Milrow, in my opinion, will not be the starting quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I I do not think that – I think if he is the opening day starting quarterback, I think it's Nick Saban kind of going back to his bread and butter of the guy that he's been with kind of getting the first crack at it. But I don't think if he, if he's the day one starter, if he's the opening day starter, he will not be the starter by SEC play. That will be passed on to Ty Simpson or Eli Holstein or the other four star. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but they recruited two of the top 10 this year, freshman <laughs> right. quarterback. So Garrett, to me, we saw, we've seen, we've seen Jalen Milrow. We, we know what he is. He got his audition this year when Bryce Young went down. You know, he played admirably. He didn't lose, but I don't think 2023 Alabama is going to win with a Jalen Milrow. Not the way that they want to win. They can go to a a New Year's Six game. They can compete for an SEC West title. That's not what they want, though. They want to be able to, you know, go all the way. And that's been a minute since they've gotten to taste that. They're pretty pissed off that they didn't make the playoff this year. So... I don't see them sticking with Milrow long-term. I think he got his chance, and he just didn't do enough with it in 2022. Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. Um, I, I, I do think that he has the tools to do it, but you're right. When he played Texas A&M, he did not look good. And a couple things to note. Obviously, we all know Texas A&M did not play very well this last year. They, they did not have a very good season. They were somewhat competitive in that game, but it's sort of a, like, was it Bama playing – poorly or AM just playing above their grade we we don't know we'll have to wait and see uh on that one but he did not look very good he turned the ball over several times in that game did not yeah. do very much in the air he was effective in the run game and I think Jameer Gibbs almost bailed him out of that game entirely but um uh, yeah I think that you have to look at this and say is he the guy that has the composure the tools the the you know the the intangibles at quarterback that are going to get you there I don't know and I probably don't think so and I mentioned this just a second with LSU Alabama has been absolutely spoiled at the quarterback position for the last several years I mean they got what three maybe four quarterbacks depending on how you want to count them that are going to be starters in the NFL next year um and maybe one of them was uh, in the Super Bowl last year we're not 100% (laughs) sure does that count as a Bama player is you know you got we don't know but regardless, they've still had a absolute plethora of talent at the quarterback position. They they had an issue in the championship game, and they switched to another five star quarterback 
you know, with with uh, with Tua, and he ended up winning that game. Both of those guys play in the NFL, right? <laughs> yeah. Both those guys are starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and so you know, and and then the guy that came behind him, Mac Jones, he's obviously in in New England, and so you know, I'm I'm just I'm really looking at this and wondering, you know, okay, how long has it been since Alabama has just been absolutely spoiled with quarterback play? You know, and and how long has that been bailing people out? Because they've had some great wide receivers, they've had some great running backs, and it's not to say that they don't still have talent there, but I don't think the talent level is where it has been at Alabama in the last couple of years. And I don't think you can rely on the defense as much as you've been able to. The receivers are not the same receivers as they were when it was Devontae Smith winning a Heisman and, you know, Jerry Judy making people look stupid and Jalen Waddle running right past everybody, right? It's been a while since we've seen that level of talent in Alabama. I wonder if if, you know, they don't have to go a different direction than Milrow just because maybe Milrow could have gotten away with it with that level of talent. But he's not going to get away with it with the receivers they have, with the running backs they have. Uh, not this year, right? They, I think they need a player who can get more out of the guys. And I, I just don't know that it's Milrow. It, it might very well be the freshman Eli Holstein. He's been very impressive, been very successful at the Louisiana uh, state high school football level. I think he won a championship his junior year, I think, and played really well in it. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know that it's Milrow. He's plenty talented. He's got all the tools. But, look, if he can't get it right between the years and spring ball, then, yeah, they're probably looking somewhere else. Yeah, the, I, I looked it up for you, Garrett. The last time that Alabama did not have a current NFL starting quarterback as their starting quarterback was 2015. Genius. So. Uh, if Who you count the quarterback then? Uh, Jake Coker. Uh, oh, yeah. We're looking for <laughs> there. So, and you know what? He had a fine season. He threw for over 3,000 yards, 21 touchdowns, only eight right. picks. But his starting backfield was uh, Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake, and Damian Harris getting the third string reps. So, <laughs> Those I guys mean, are all in the NFL, too, I believe. Uh, yeah, they're all, you know, very They're all very, very successful in the NFL. Yes. Well, and the other thing to think about, too, is the offensive coordinators there. His number really, one receiver was also Calvin Ridley. So that, that doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, but but think about the offensive coordinators, right? Your offensive coordinators there have been Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, followed by Bill O'Brien, who I don't think people were thrilled with. Obviously, he didn't continue with them. I don't know if it was a mutual thing or if he just wasn't there. So Tommy Reese has some big, big expectations on his shoulders yeah. as he comes in. He was good at Notre Dame, and we talked about that in a previous podcast. He's got to perform really well with maybe the the least talented group, and this is still a very talented group, but maybe one of the least talented groups Bama's had in a long time. Yeah, and it, it's going to be fascinating. I, like I said, if you're a Jalen Milrow believer, feel free to bookmark this. Freezing cold takes me from wrong. <laughs> I don't you see You can it. come after us on this one, okay? We're not believing in him, <laughs> okay? And, and if he shocks us, then look, I guess Nick More Saban built a monster, and he's just going to keep winning and whatever. More power to him if he yeah. if he comes out and shocks the world. But Garrett, let's do one more in the West, and we'll kind of close it out on this one. Let's go to Oxford, one of my favorite college towns, Woo. and let's talk about the burning question on everyone's mind there: Who wins the starting quarterback spot? Because obviously, you know, Wayne Kiffin is branded uh, Ole Miss as transfer you come to the SIP. You know, he doesn't care about high school recruiting as much. And, <laughs> He's just worried about working the transfer portal and more power to him. But he's kind of put himself in a very interesting situation here because he obviously Jackson Dart is 
still on the roster, I believe, after starting so, yeah. 12 of 13 games, unless I missed something huge. He's still there. And they took two of the most high-powered or high-profile, excuse me, quarterback transfers in the market this year. And Walker Howard, a former five-star at LSU, and the most experienced quarterback in the transfer portal in Oklahoma State standout, Spencer Sanders. So to me, neither one of those guys was transferring to Ole Miss to be a backup. Walker Howard, if he wanted to be a backup in the SEC, he already had that locked down. He was one snap away from being the guy at the reigning SEC West champions in LSU. Spencer Sanders, I mean, say what you want about his NFL prospects. I don't think he's wasting his last year of college to go hold a clipboard. That's just me. But it's fascinating, the quarterback situation that has been created here, because all three of those guys, it's going to be a three-way starting quarterback battle. I thought, I think Walker Howard was the first one to transfer there. And to me, that signaled, okay, he's going to be the guy. We're all in on him. But then Spencer Sanders showed up about a week later and just really muddled this up. So I don't know if you've seen anything on who's leading here. I know this is going to be a huge battle probably all the way through fall camp, but it's going to be fascinating to see who leads this offense in 2023. Right. I think there's a decent chance. If you had to have me bet on who was going to be the starter game one, I think I'm going with Spencer Sanders. And that's nothing to shade Walker Howard. Walker Howard is a very talented quarterback, um, but – there's just a different thing that they do in Ole Miss um, with their offense. And I think what a lot of people expect, right? A lot of people look at Ole Miss and they think, oh, those guys definitely throw the ball all around. They're an explosive offense like that. This is a running based team. This team runs the football really well. Quinshawn Judkins set the world on fire. Yeah. Very talented freshman. I think he scored a touchdown like almost every game last year. He's yeah. scoring touchdowns like a monster, you know, over 100 yards, several games. Just an absolute beast on the field, right? Incredibly good. If you get a guy like Spencer Sanders in there, who's a very athletic quarterback, very talented, good at the read option, I think that gives Lane Kiffin a lot of what he wants to do. And Spencer Sanders is not just a a running quarterback, right? He's a very good passer. Definitely um, makes some interesting decisions at times. I think a lot of Oklahoma State fans would tell you the same thing. He definitely made some interesting calls and probably cost him a few games with his bad decision-making especially if you go back to the Big 12 championship game and a couple of the picks that he threw in that game a couple years ago and that that missed it by a couple inches championship game. At the end of the day, I think he's the most experienced. He knows what he's doing. He'll be able to stabilize the position. Now, with Lane Kiffin being the coach that he is, I could see this go back and forth. I could see Walker Howard taking snaps as, as QB1 uh, you know, week two, week three, and then going back to Spencer Sanders for SEC play. And then as soon as he has a bad game, going back to Walker Howard, I don't think we see very much Jackson Dart. He wasn't very impressive. He didn't do a whole lot to to really wow you. And, and I know they're a running base team, but he still did not have very good numbers. Not a great passer. Didn't seem like he was very decisive and knew what to do with the ball. And when you got a guy like Quinshawn Jenkins, you want to give him as many opportunities as possible. Can't be turning the ball over. Can't be throwing incomplete passes. Can't get behind the chains. I think a guy like Spencer Sanders helps you out, but it's still a huge question mark as to who's going to end up winning that battle. Lane Kiffin has two quarterbacks, I think, that are very, very good. Which one he picks and how he coaches that quarterback up, the kinds of plays he calls for them, I think that's going to define where this program goes over the next few years, because this is a little bit of a make it or break it year for Lane, 
right? If they have another average year, that come to the sip is going to wear off. But if they can get back up to ten wins, maybe get to a maybe get to a Sugar Bowl, right? Something like that. They could uh, they could be in a really good spot going into twenty twenty four. Well, let's hope Lane is watching film of these three guys and not tweeting from his <laughs> ten thousand burner accounts. He might see some highlights on Twitter. I don't know. You never you know, know. Maybe that's the best place for him to find them. I don't know. That's probably would be the easiest way to get him. He he so. might have just taken Walker Howard as a transfer because he saw that video of Brian Kelly hanging out with them spinning around or whatever <laughs> it was. And maybe he just thought that was kind of fun. He needs a buddy. Lane, if you're bored, if you're if you're lonely, let us know, man. You can come on the pod. We'll bring you on the pod. Oh, we would have so many questions for <laughs> if he ever showed up on this pod. But we'll I've save that for questions. first question. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll save those for another day. But Garrett, it's been fun talking with you tonight about all these teams. Guys, if you want to uh, check out the teams that we didn't mention, we only got through six on the podcast. There's eight more that Mitch highlighted. Please go check out this article. Go check it out at thetransferportalcfb.com. It's right there on the homepage. As you see it, or you can type in Mitch's name. It should pop right up. Garrett, I'm so excited about this partnership. It's been so cool already to see just the feedback and the comments we've gotten about it. And I'm really excited to see where this goes. But in the meantime, guys, make sure you're always checking in on our socials. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3TechPod. On YouTube as well, make sure you're subscribing and supporting all of Garrett's hard work on the YouTube channel and watching (laughs) our videos. And make sure that you're following our personals as well. We always love interacting with you guys um, on Twitter, on Instagram. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another full episode. We should have all three of us back together next week. Should be. We haven't gotten to do that in a while. It's been weird. It's been a crazy March. Crazy March indeed. But we are uh, looking forward to all getting back together. For that man over there, Mr. Garrett Turney, I am Trey Reeves, and we will see you guys next time.